The Gospel according according to St. Matthew chapter 18. And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. They may be some of the hardest words for us to say. And even more than that, some of the hardest words to actually mean. I forgive you. We know it's good. We know it's God-pleasing. We know that it's good for the person that we're forgiving, right? To release them of that guilt that they're feeling. They've asked for forgiveness. We know it's good for them and their soul. We know it's good for us, right, to, to let that go, to not hold on to that anger or that hatred or that revenge or that grudge anymore. We know it's good. We know it's God-pleasing, but let's be honest, it's hard to do. It's hard for us to forgive and to mean it, especially when we understand what it means to forgive. Right? Forgiving somebody is not saying, well, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. No big deal. That's not forgiving. What it means to forgive is to cancel a debt. Someone owes you because something happened, and, and you cancel it. You say it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. It's done. Forgive means to release somebody from an obligation or a consequence. If someone does something against you, right? there should be an obligation. There should be a consequence to that, but you release them from that. They're free from it. That's what it means to forgive. And when you think about what that really means and what that really looks like, you realize how hard that is for us to do. Because what we want to do, let's be honest with ourselves, what we want to do is we want to put limits on our forgiveness, right? 
We'll forgive up to a point, right? We'll forgive so much, but there's got to be a point where you don't forgive anymore, right? Because if you keep on forgiving, what does that show? You're weak. You're meek. You're someone that people can walk all over. And that's not the way of the world, right? The world tells you, you've got to stand up for yourself. You can't let people walk all over you. Right? And our own sinful flesh tells us that same thing. Right? I'll, I'll forgive you, but no, 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 now you've done too much. You've done it too many times. Right? We put limits on our forgiveness for other people. We also like to attach strings to our forgiveness, too. We, we like to put conditions on it, right? If you prove to me that you're sorry, then I'll forgive you, right? If you change your ways, if you finally stop doing that, then I will forgive you. We put conditions on our forgiveness. Strings, right? Clauses. If, then. We also uh, like to have degrees of forgiveness, too, right? There's some, some things in life that we're, we, we'll be quick to forgive, right? Other things where, eh, it may take us a little longer, and other things where we might think, there's no way I could forgive that. That is unforgivable to me. We have degrees of forgiveness based on the sin. That's what we tend to do with our sinful human flesh, don't we? We put limits. We put strings on we have degrees of what can be forgiven and, and what can't be. This is, we know it's good. We know we should forgive. We want to forgive most of the time. But it's so hard to do. And that's why the Bible addresses forgiveness a lot. The fact is, forgiveness is at the core of what Christianity really is all about. And so, of course, it's going to be at the core of what the Bible is all about. So it speaks about forgiveness a lot. And that's really the context in which Matthew 18 is written. Jesus has just got done, right before our lesson this morning, Jesus has just got done telling his disciples how to forgive somebody. Meaning, if someone's in a sin, how to lead them to repentance and then offer them God's forgiveness. Jesus has just given this instruction manual of what this looks like early in Matthew chapter 18. And that's get, that gets Peter thinking. Peter starts thinking about this people who sin against me, and, and how often I should forgive them, right? Peter thinks there has to be some kind of limit, right? There's got to be some sort of strings attached. There's got to be some sort of, you know, degrees of forgiveness. And so we asked Jesus right at the beginning of our lesson. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Peter is kind of proud of himself with this number seven. He thinks he's being pretty generous because we believe that at the time, we certainly know a little later on we, from uh, rabbinic writings, but maybe already at this time of, of, of Peter and, and, and uh, Jesus here, that the religious leaders were teaching that you only had to forgive someone three times. Right? If they did something against you, you had to forgive them. Did it again, forgive them. If they did it again, forgive them. But that was it. There was a limit. They did it a fourth time, too bad. There's no forgiveness for you. That's what they were hearing. That's what they were being taught. And so Peter thinks he's being really generous by saying seven times because we take the number three and you double it and then just for good measure adds one more, right? So seven times, Jesus, that's pretty good, right? I should forgive when someone sins against me? Listen to Jesus' response. Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. An alternate translation here is 
70 times 7. So either way, be it 77 times or 490 times, 70 times 7, what Jesus is saying is not well, when you get to number 50 or when you get to number 491, then you don't have to forgive anymore. It's about not keeping track. <laughs> right? How are you going to keep track of you know, keeping, you know, someone sinning against you that many times? Right? You don't keep track. It's not keeping books on how many times someone sins against you and finally you reach that limit where you don't forgive them anymore. It's about forgiveness having no restrictions, no limits, no strings on it whatsoever. And because Jesus knows that his disciples are going to struggle with this idea, wait, wait, what? There's, a, there's no limit to forgiveness? Because he knows that we struggle with this. He tells a parable. There's a king who decides it's time to collect on the debts that are out there. And one servant comes before him, and he has this absolutely massive, enormous debt he owes to the king. The NIV that we have here in front of us says that he owes him 10,000 bags of gold. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. It depends how big the bag is, right? Depends on what the worth of, you know, the, the worth of gold is at the time. Um, the, original, the original Greek says that he owes him 10,000 talents. Well, that's even more nebulous, right? Because what's a talent, right? Well, a talent is a unit of money. And uh, one talent was worth 20 years of wages. One talent. All right, so, so still, it might be a little, oh, what does that mean? Let's, let's put it into today's money to just try to give you an idea of what this debt is that this man owes to the king. So I looked up on the internet, and everything you find on the internet is true. So I found that the average salary in the United States is $48,000 a year. You may disagree with that number. I don't know. That's the number I found, right? And I wasn't going to look any farther because that's not the point. We're going to get a number here so we can understand this. Let's say it's $48,000, okay? The annual salary. But let's just for uh, making it easier, let's round it up to $50,000. We can do that, right? So $50,000 a year is the annual average salary, okay? A talent was 20 years wages. So one talent would be worth... Do the math in your head. One million dollars. One talent. This man owes 10,000 talents. That math is a little harder in your head. If I did it right, one million times 10,000 is 10 billion dollars. So in today's money, this servant owes this king 10 billion dollars. Now maybe you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense to me even, what 10 billion dollars is, right? But we know that's a really big number. And even in today's money, <laughs> there are very few people, if anybody, who could actually pay somebody 10 billion dollars in actual cash. This servant stands before this king, and everybody knows he can't pay it. There's no way he can pay this debt, right? It's just understood. And so at first the king says, well, we're going to take care of some of it. We're going to sell you and your family off into slavery and uh, sell everything you have, and that's going to have to be as good as we get, I guess, right? But the servant says, he falls on his knees before the king and says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. This man intends to pay back all $10 billion, right? All 10,000 talents that he owes this man. That's his intent, right? But the master knows, the king knows he can't do it. He can't pay back everything. It's absolutely an impossible debt to repay. And it says that he has pity on him. And the word used for pity here 
is the same word that is used for Jesus in the Gospels when it says he sees the crowds and has compassion on them. It's the same Greek word, pity and compassion, right? And every time that Jesus has compassion, what does he do? He doesn't just go on his way. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. He does something. He heals, he teaches, he feeds, he does something for the people, right? Because he has compassion and it moves him to action. Here, the king's pity isn't just, oh, isn't that too bad, right? Oh, too bad for you and your family. It moves him to action. He cancels the debt and lets him go. Just let that sink in for a moment. This king, and I don't care how crazy rich this king is, $10 billion, 10,000 talents is a ton of money. He cancels it and lets the man go free. No strings attached. Right? No limit. It wasn't even he cut the debt in half or even, you know, doing a manageable payment plan for the rest of his life. Canceled completely. The man is free. How do you think this servant felt when he left there? You would think he would be overjoyed, right? Thankful. <laughs> but you know what he does? It says he goes out. He went out, which, which means that he just left the king's palace or his presence. And on the way home, he finds a fellow servant. A fellow servant who owes him, owes him some money. And the servant owes him 100 silver coins. Well, again, you ask, well, what are 100 silver coins worth? Well, in the original, it says that it was 100 denarii. What's a denarii, right? So a denarius, right, a singular of denarii, is, is um, one day's wage. Right? So this is 100 days' wages that this man owes this other guy. So again, take our $50,000 U.S. salary, let's break that down and, you know, into 100 days. That's about $15,000. So this man owes this other man $15,000. That's, that's a good sum of money. I, I know if someone owed you $15,000, you probably would remember that too, right? <laughs> you wouldn't forget about that real easily probably, right? But think about $15,000 compared to a debt that was just forgiven, canceled, he's free from it, $10 billion. Right? There's not a whole lot of joy and thankfulness going on inside this man's heart and mind right now. He wants his $15,000. And so much so that he grabs him, begins to choke him, and says, pay back what you owe me, he demands. Right? There's no setting up a payment plan. There's no, hey, we should talk about that $15,000 you owe me. Right? It, my family could probably use that. Right? You know, we're kind of you know, down on our luck lately. Right? There's no negotiations here. It's pay back what you owe me, choking him. And the man says, almost verbatim, what that servant said in front of the king. He says, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But the response is quite different. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Tell me how you do that. How do you pay a debt when you're in prison, right? No mercy whatsoever, no pity, no compassion at all. And then the other servants find out. They go tell the master, and the master's just a little upset. <laughs> just a little, all right? He calls him in and says, I forgave that big debt of yours, that 10,000 talents, that $10 billion in U.S. money, and you couldn't forgive this debt of your fellow servant? And what does he do? He, he throws him into jail and gives him over to the torturers until he can pay back all he owed. That debt that was canceled is no longer canceled. <laughs> you owe it, and you're going to be tortured until you can pay it. This ends this lovely parable. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Friends, God is serious about forgiveness. God is very serious about his forgiveness for us and about our forgiveness for one another. It's not optional here. It's commanded. And if we don't forgive, it's a sin. An awful sin in God's sight. When we've been so forgiven, you get the parable, I don't have to explain it to you, right? When we've been so forgiven, the enormous debt that we have before the king of heaven and earth, and he just cancels it, it's gone, forgiven forever, and we go out and choose not to forgive. Maybe a substantial debt, but certainly much smaller than the one we owe God. He says there's no forgiveness for you. And the interesting thing about God is that God does not hold us to a standard that he himself won't keep. Because God, for, for, for God, forgiveness is not optional either. For God, God has to forgive us. You know why? Do you know why when we come here, and already this morning, you confessed your sins right at the beginning of our service, and through your pastor, God gave you that forgiveness in Christ, right? Your sins are atoned for. You're forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In just a little while, you're going to come up and in a very real and personal, tangible way, receive the forgiveness of your sins. Every time outside of this building that you go and you confess your sins, they are forgiven every single time. Do you know why? Do you know why God has to forgive your sins every time? Because your debt has been paid. Not just, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's paid in full. That's why God has to forgive your sins. Your debt's been canceled. Not because of anything you do. Not because you're going to work really hard to try to make up for all that bad things you did. Right? For all the sins that you've committed. It's not because, you know, you're going to try really hard and, and pay back God as much as you can that he forgives you. No. He cancels the debt because someone else, someone else paid it for you. Forgiveness has a cost to it, doesn't it? It always has a cost. And you know what it costs God? His very own life. It costs God himself having to leave heaven and to take on flesh and live the perfect sinless life that you cannot. A perfect life where he never had to ask for forgiveness. But yet was willing and ready to always give it. Even as they are crucifying him, even as he is suffering hell on that cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. All the way to the end, you see the perfect, forgiving life of God your Savior. And on that cross, he dies for every time that you have not given forgiveness like you should. For every time that you have put limits on it. For every time that you have put strings on it. And you have made up this degree, right, of, of, of forgiveness on when you're going to forgive and when you're not, right? When you've got into the business of bookkeeping forgiveness and keeping track of how everyone has wronged you 
so you can pay them back later, all those sins are forgiven. Fully and freely and unconditionally. But it came at a cost. There was a price. It was the of God to wash away your sins, to cancel your debt, to pay in full that debt that you owe to God. And probably not 10 billion sins, probably not even 10 trillion sins, but more than you can even begin to put on paper. All canceled, all forgiven. And like this man in the parable, let go free. You're free. You have no debt to God. There's nothing you have to do to earn God's favor. There's nothing you have to do to earn his forgiveness. There's nothing you have to do to get that debt taken care of. It's already done by another. Your debt has been paid. You are forgiven. That forgiveness came with a cost. Remember the cost to forgive you your debt of sins that you could not pay. The blood of Jesus himself that purifies us from all sin. And it's that loving, unconditional, full and free forgiveness that we see Jesus himself winning for us. That Jesus himself then says, if you, as you have been so forgiven, so you go and forgive even if it's really hurtful, even if they've done it a number of times, many times, 70 times, seven times, forgive. As Paul writes, just as in Christ. Just as in Christ. Not kind of like in Christ, right? Not, not sort of like God's forgiveness for you, but just equal to, just as in Christ God forgave you, that's how we are called to forgive one another. But forgiveness comes at a cost, doesn't it? going to cost you something to forgive somebody else. It might cost you your pride, in the eyes of the world at least. It might cause you to have to give up a grudge and that desire for revenge. Right? The bookkeeping that you do and keeping track of how people have hurt you and how you're going to get back at them later. Right, That ammo that you got that you can bring out when you really need it. You got to give that up too. There's a cost to your forgiveness. But friends, there's freedom. There's freedom in forgiveness. Yes, God's forgiveness for you, but also your forgiveness for one another. There's freedom for that person who's been weighed down by their guilt. Right? They can't forget it, and you haven't been letting them forget about it either, right? When you say to them, I forgive you, this debt is canceled, it's paid by Jesus at the cross, I'm not holding it against you anymore either. The release that that person is able to feel. And there's freedom for you too. It's a lot of work to hold a grudge, you know that? It's a lot of work to look for revenge and keep the tally, right, and do the bookkeeping. It's, it's a whole lot of work, right? I've heard it once said that, you know, when you forgive somebody, it's freeing somebody from a prison and realizing that person was you. When you forgive, you are releasing yourself from that prison of having to keep those books and hold on to that debt and hold on to that grudge and that need for revenge, right, to free, free yourself of that. 
and to see every sin, your sin, and every sin that anyone's ever committed against you, forgiven at that cross. Fully and freely and unconditionally. Friends, what would life look like if we could come together and live in this forgiveness of Christ together? To know that forgiveness ourselves, fully, freely, unconditionally, and then to offer it to each other freely, fully, and unconditionally? What would it look like? Just imagine it. What would our marriages look like? As husbands and wives forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. What would it look like between parents and children? I don't care how old your kids are, small or grown up, right? If we would forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave us fully and freely and unconditionally, what would it look like as the church, as a family of believers, as we get to go out, not only with a message of forgiveness, not only lip service, but but living lives of forgiveness. Where we can't help but want to forgive. To cancel each other's debts. To point each other back to the cross. That love uh, that, that we see there. That perfect, unconditional, full, free forgiveness that is ours. And friends, if this is something you struggle with, you're not the only one, first and foremost, right? I'm guessing there's not a single person in this room who doesn't struggle with forgiving something that's happened to you, right? Something in the past that, that um, you just can't let go of that someone has done against you. Right? You still have a record of it. Or, or someone who has hurt you over and over and over and you think, I've, just, I've reached my limit, I can't do it anymore. Or you're really good at putting conditions on forgiveness and, and you know, with your kids or with your spouse. You know what? I, I, yeah, I'll believe you when you prove that you're really sorry. Then I'll forgive you, right? If that's something you struggle with, the first thing you should do is repent. <laughs> repent because it's a sin. It's a sin not to forgive. Go back to the cross. See your full and free and unlimited and unconditional forgiveness that God shows to you, even for the times that you have chosen not to forgive or been slow to forgive or kept that record and not gotten rid of it. Go back and repent and receive God's full and free forgiveness. Secondly, pray. Pray that God would give you a forgiving heart like his. And you know how often you actually do that, maybe without knowing? It's in the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every Sunday, and I'm guessing that most of you pray it throughout the week too. We pray in there, we're praying to our Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What we're praying there, what you pray in that petition, whether you recognize it or not, is that God forgive me all of my sins. Heavenly Father, don't hold my sins against me. And just like that, as you do that, Help me to forgive those who sin against me. Fully, freely, unconditionally. Pray that God would give you a heart that is so willing and ready to forgive like his. And the third thing, if you're struggling with forgiveness and forgiving others in your life, immerse yourself back in God's word. Go back into that law Go back and see just the debt of sins that you have before your Heavenly Father. How many times you sin against Him in thought and word and deed, and you start to multiply that out throughout your life? <laughs> Innumerable. But yet that debt has been paid, the Gospel tells you. 
The debt is paid at the cross, right? Your ability to forgive, your desire to forgive, is going to be directly connected to how much you realize how much you have been forgiven. Until you realize that debt of sin that has been paid for and canceled at the cross, forgiven, forgotten, done, until you fully realize that and appreciate that, we can't begin to forgive each other as God has first forgiven us. Go back into that word of God. Go back into that gospel. Go back to that cross and see what God has done for you. And all the sins that have been paid for. There is your motivation and your desire and your ability to forgive. To forgive others as you have been forgiven. Dear friend, Satan wants to divide us. We've been looking at that for four weeks now. Satan wants nothing more than for there to be division among us. And he wants nothing more than for us to harbor grudges against one another and keep the books on one another and not forgive one another. Satan loves it when God's people do that. Let's find the unity and the peace that can only be found in Christ as we get to forgive one another. As we seek forgiveness and as we so quickly and lovingly and unconditionally and fully and freely give forgiveness to one another, there is peace. There is unity. There Christ dwells among us. May God give us the strength to do it. Amen.